It's Reshma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code, and you're listening to an episode of Brave Not Perfect. On this podcast, I talk to up-and-coming changemakers who are leaving their fear of failure behind and letting bravery lead the way. Each week, you'll hear from another incredible person who's using their skills and talents to make a difference in their community and about the moments when they decided to be brave, not perfect. This week, I'm talking to Chloe Taylor, a STEM curriculum consultant, an educator, an entrepreneur, and a Girls Who Code facilitator. I started by asking her how she found her love for STEM. My name is Chloe Taylor, and I'm the founder of Chloe Taylor Technology and the co-founder of Green Prince Inc. Amazing. So tell me when you first fell in love with STEM. How old were you? Where were you? How did it happen? Was it love at first sight? This is probably the first time I've ever told this story because it's embarrassing. With all the work that I do, (laughs) with all the work that I do about empowering women and girls now, my STEM story started because I wanted to go to a co-ed STEM program. You wanted to meet boys? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so I went to an all girls high school. There was a really lacking STEM program at the time. And Carnegie Mellon said, if you want to come for the summer for six weeks, it's a sleep away program. You can learn all about robotics, computer science. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll be there. <laughs> and so I had a huge crush on this boy in my robotics class there and spent no time working on the actual robot, but was just obsessing and fangirling out of this random little boy. <laughs> and by the end of the summer, I thought to myself, wait, I actually learned something this whole summer, and I actually really like this, and the rest is history. I don't think I've ever told anybody that. That's a horrible, horrible No, listen, we we always say, like, meet girls where they're at. Like, whatever it takes to, like, get them in the door. Totally. You said that you described the feeling of, like, first learning to code as unnatural. Talk to me about that. So when I first sat down in front of a computer – in that robotics class, and they said, okay, you're going to write some lines of code to um, control this robot. And now this is back in the day, so we didn't have Scratch, we didn't have any block-based coding, it was just lines of code. And I just, nothing about it made sense to me, and I felt a sense of dread almost. Like, I was a fish out of water, and I'd never felt that way before. I was always very good in history, even science, familiar subjects, but this felt so different. So, so different. I really didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) Yeah. We talk about this all the time. I mean, this is kind of what my next book is on is this idea that we're so used to being good at things. Mm -hmm. And so we assume that, well, our brain just functions that way. And that feeling when you're not good at something, Mm -hmm. it's almost like you gravitate away from it because you don't like it. You're not used to feeling that way. Totally. Totally. And it's because we're raised to be perfectionists. And that was me. I was a great student. I did well in many different areas. You know, my family supported me tremendously and, you know, maybe over-celebrated. I'm an only child, so over-celebrated me to a certain extent. And so getting into STEM as a teenager, I thought, this is something I'm really not good at, but it's a good challenge. So talk to me about that. So Mm -hmm. how did you continue to do something that you dreaded. Yeah. So I have to give credit where credit is due. That program, it was the Summer Academy for Mathematics and Science at Carnegie Mellon. Mm. 
I came back the next summer, got a little bit better, and then felt like I wanted. Did you want to come back as a boy because you were dr- <laughs> you enjoyed the like it was the just, challenge? It was actually because my high school was so you know I was one of only a few black girls in my high school. Yeah, and. They were bringing kids from all over the country. And so what initially my motivation was, oh, this will be great. I'll get to meet boys. But the next summer, I thought, this will be great. I'm really growing. I'm not the same person that came to this program before. So I ended up enrolling in undergrad at Carnegie Mellon. A lot of my friends from that program also did as well. I became an RA in that program. It's no surprise that that's what a lot of my work is focused around now because it was such a transformative experience for me. So what was happening with women and women of color at Carnegie Mellon when you were there in college? Mm, There weren't a lot of us. There were maybe like 10%, let's say African-American in general. So we had a very tight-knit group. I was the president of our Black Student Union and you know, gender at that time, I feel like I've become more of uh, more aware of sexism and more aware of the issues we face now. Because at that time, we just had so few people that we yeah. all had to just yeah. band together. And so I don't really remember a focus on empowering ourselves as women specifically, yeah. but it was more race. I feel you. Same thing for me. It wasn't until in college I was so much more focused on race than gender. And it really wasn't until I got into the workforce yes. in many ways yes. that I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes. This is a problem. This is a problem. <laughs> this is a problem too. You're right. Yeah. So how did you be- decide to become an educator? Okay. So I graduated from college and I wanted to move to New York. And Did you graduate Carnegie Mellon yeah. with a CS degree or no? With what? I was actually in the humanities. Okay, but in their infinite wisdom, they were kind of like, "You need to take science. You need yeah. to take technology. You're going out into a workforce that we don't know right now, and so we need to prepare you for the future, and not what you think you're going to go into right. next." So I applied for the New York City Teaching Fellows Program, got accepted, and started teaching kindergarten in Manhattan. And I, I love how people learn, how people grow. I was coming from a very, what I would consider intellectual background about education. And people were really shocked, and I want to say a little disappointed, that I took all this momentum from college and all this leadership experience and then became an elementary school teacher. And immediately that shift was awkward. Yeah. The way that people used to refer to me and talk to me completely flipped. Before it was like, she's so innovative. Oh, she's so smart. She's so bold. And elementary school teacher Chloe was, oh, God, you have so much patience. Yeah. Wow, you're so sweet. Yeah. Oh, don't you love the children? So what drove you to do that? To become a teacher? Yeah. In elementary school in particular. You know, again, I was coming from a more intellectual place, I think, thinking about human development, curriculum, how people learn. That's what I thought it was in my mind, going into that profession. (laughs) It's almost like you're going into the lab by going into kindergarten to really understand. So in my long-term plan, I thought I would love to be, you know, a professor of human development or something like that. But I wanted to have a a unique, real classroom teaching experience. So I thought maybe I'll just do it for two years, you know, boots on the ground. But I I did really love it. What I didn't love is how people treated me all of a sudden. Right. Like you were not as 
worthy because you were a teacher? Right. It was mm. a fall from grace, I think. A lot of people would even say to me, like, you paid to go to Carnegie Mellon and then you became a school teacher. Mm. Like, you'll never pay your student right. loans Right, it shows how much lack of regard we have for our teachers so, in our culture. Yeah. So much, so much. And it hurt me. I, I used to hate going to dinner parties because, you know, everybody would say, I, I work at a startup. Oh, I'm an engineer. Chloe, what do you do? I'm a teacher. Oh, my God. You're the sweetest. And I think people meant well. But yeah. what, what I heard is, like, you're doing that job. We're doing more important, right. complex. Like, right. there's a different skill set needed for our jobs. So what did you learn in being in uh, Oh, my gosh. I learned so much. I learned, most of all, how to keep cool and keep patient and pretend that everything is okay. <laughs> I mean, it, teaching kindergarten is madness. Give me a, like an example. I can't even tell you. There are the wildest, I have the wildest stories. <laughs> wildest stories. So part of being a teacher is getting observed, right? And it's this anxiety-ridden experience where your principal comes in and watches this flawless lesson. And, you know, you want everything to be perfect. Again, the stereotypical kindergarten teacher is this like lovely sweet barbie who just loves you know and that's not yeah. me but i wanted to be that to to, <laughs> to make be, everybody happy right to make other people happy yeah and for people to perceive me well and so i'm doing my lesson it's going flawlessly and i'm you know asking these engaging questions and the kids are doing so well and then my principal says yeah, good job and walks out and one of the children just pukes all <laughs> over the rug like right in, after he walks out in his little spot and I thought, what? Are you? <laughs> like, oh Are you kidding? <laughs> and he was like, I was, I was sick the whole time, but I was holding it in because I knew this was important. Ugh. And that broke my heart. That broke my heart. Yeah. It's not that important. It never was that kids should feel that pressure and that I'm imposing that pressure in yeah. a sense of perfection. Here we are in Pollyanna and you're just the most beautiful, sweet children ever. And that was a wake-up call for me. Right, that you had to make a change. Yeah, yeah. The fact that I can inflict so much anxiety on a child just so I look perfect and I look approachable and I look sweet, it wasn't, it yeah. didn't feel right. Do you feel like that's, you once said that you've learned so much in working with young girls about the life lessons I've taught you as a woman. Would you say that that's one of them? Like, so much. I mean, when I became a Girls Who Code facilitator, the lessons, I feel like it's so much computer science, but it's also so much social emotional learning. Yeah. And the lessons are designed for younger girls. But I would go home and think like, yeah, why not me? Why right. wouldn't I also take this advice? Right. Why wouldn't I also flex this muscle that allows me to be brave and to take risks and actually defend myself? And you seem to have done that. Tell me what you're doing now. Yes. Yeah, so six years ago, I had started a camp business with two partners, their moms, their local moms in Brooklyn. We started just out of necessity, a small camp of 10 kids. Fast forward, it went really well. We put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in. We've got a huge operation now. We have almost 200 kids, wow. 40 staff members. That's a, an integral part of my story. And you're doing this while you're still teaching elementary school. Yes. Like your side hustle. Yes. Yes. That was my side hustle as a kindergarten teacher. And I think that started to light the spark that told me like, okay, you can also be a woman in business. Yeah. You can be an entrepreneur. Yes. This is kind of fulfilling me in a way that teaching won't. 
And I know that. And amazingly, you know, thank God it did well every single year. We put our heart and, and this souls is green in print, it. prints, right? Yes, yeah. green prints. We put our heart and soul into that business and it exploded. And I, st- again, that spark thinking like education doesn't mean just being a teacher in a classroom. It can mean that if that fulfills you. But for me, I wasn't living my truth in that role. Yeah. And so getting awards for green prints and getting recognition for green prints and seeing our staff grow, I thought, okay. How did you know when it wasn't fulfilling you? What's that feeling like? Describe it to me. I'm, my skin is crawling thinking about it. I think I've always been the girl that I am today inside. Bold, direct, creative, and nobody saw me that way. Not no, I shouldn't say nobody. There are people who kind of supported my vision all along. But many people were looking at me on the outside in a way that I did not feel like I was on the inside. It mm-hmm. was so, it hurt me. It cut me really deeply. And it and actually even hurts to this day when people say, oh, I remember when you were a new teacher, you were so bad. You were so bad. Like as a joke. Yeah. And... I was used to being lauded and, oh, this girl's so great. Wow, look at what she's doing. Wow, she's grown into this woman. But people didn't see me like that as a teacher, especially Mm. as a new teacher, because I wasn't good. So it gave people the ability to say, oh, gosh, your kids, they were late to music. Oh, you're not keeping it together. And ultimately, it's not something I, I did as part of the job, but it's not something that I wanted to do even when I did do it well. It didn't feel fulfilling and I didn't feel content with my, per- I was being lauded for things that I didn't care that much about. Yeah. Like being sweet or sounding sweet or looking cute. I don't care that much about those things. Right. And it's, it's, it's also hard to not be seen. You know, when you're not seen and you feel like there's this yeah. other person that really wants to show up. <laughs> yes. And you're pretending to be someone else. Yes. And so when you did Green Prince, you felt like you were closer to your true Chloe Taylor. Totally. It changed a lot for me. And now you have Chloe Taylor technology? Yeah. Yes. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So the the camp business was doing well for years and years. And I was still teaching full time out of fear mainly because I thought to myself, I need health benefits. Like random things. Right, I right. just, oh, I could never leave my full-time job because health benefits, direct <laughs> deposit. Like these things were just playing on my mind. And then one day, I remember it so well, Hidden Figures was out in theaters. Ah, yeah. And I hadn't seen it yet. And I went after school to Alamo and got like a Negroni and truffle popcorn <laughs> and sat there in the theater And I'm watching Hidden Figures, and tears are, like, streaming down my face. And I'm watching just all these amazing storylines play out and thinking, if these Black women helped put a man on the moon, like, 60 years ago and had to take books from the library to learn how to code and made it work, there is no way I'm going to live another day without living my passion. Like, Mm. I just won't do it. I won't do it. I was just crying, bawling. You know, the theater was pretty empty because it was like right after school. And the next day I called my boss and said, I just want to let you know this will be my last year teaching and I'm going to pursue some other business opportunities, which I didn't even have at that point. (laughs) But I was, you know, from my mouth to God's ears, 
there were going to be business opportunities. Right? <laughs> and so the camp business still continued to do well. And I thought, what's my real passion? I really want to keep working with girls who code. I really want to keep working with STEM. And I really want to take care of myself. I really do. I want to, I don't like waking up early. I don't like getting on the train and pushing people out of the way. I'm going to put that so first in my life and just believe that everything else will line up. And I did that and I feel like that's the magic. I've After I did that, my whole life changed. And people always say to me, you look different. You look so different. And I don't think it's that I look different. I think it's that I wake up when I need to wake up from my body, that I feed myself well, and that I take time to meditate in the morning. And they're seeing me after all of that, as opposed to rousing myself from sleep and getting on the train. Now I do a lot of consulting with schools and programs and businesses that want to do something really meaningful in STEM. There's a lot of kind of like get on a computer and follow a tutorial STEM education. But my approach is really centered on what kids already know, what kids are learning in in their existing curriculum in their school, hands-on work, sensory work for younger kids. And so I go in and really learn deeply about what a school is trying to do and connect robotics, computer science, 3D printing, 3D modeling, all kinds of like 21st century skills yeah. into what they're already doing. Powerful. And it's so it's it makes sense. What you're doing now from the Carnegie Mellon story that yes. you're telling me, right? It makes sense. Yes. So how did you get the strength to just because this was a risk. You Huge pay, risk. You, you, know, <laughs> you had a paycheck, yes. you had your benefits, right. you had to pay your rent. Right. And it's also like you had a, a station in life, right? Mm-hmm. And you were gonna Throw all that away. Mm-hmm. What do you think it was? I think my family is a huge sense of support for me. I mean, I could be doing anything, and my parents especially would be so happy I was doing that and bragging to everybody. about. So I never, you know, and listening to your other episodes, I don't have, my parents are kind of like uniquely American in that sense yeah. that they didn't. They wanted me to do well in whatever it was. It they was. didn't have a thing. You weren't trying to live right. their dreams for them. Right. It was like pursuing the American dream right. of, you know, starting a business as opposed to yeah. trying to like make it. In yeah. And so I didn't feel outside pressure. And I do tell people that I I have been really blessed and really lucky to have what I think are all the necessary foundational steps to help live my dream and now i see that as trying to empower other people like my strength comes from using what i have and all the blessings that i've received to be a blessing to other people it's a huge part of my story and i've been humbled many 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 times in the past couple of years i remember my boss saying to me you know when i was getting so passionate about girls who code and which is not STEM and doing Girls Who Code and all these other things were not being a kindergarten teacher, right? Mm -hmm. So I was doing things outside of my role. And my boss sat me down and said, (laughs) I'll never forget it. He said, Chloe, you're not a leader if no one's following you. And I still don't exactly know where he was coming from with that. But I do know he wasn't saying it to deter me or hurt me, but it was a wake-up call. Like, I can be doing all these things that I think are powerful and great, but if I don't have the support of the people around me in the community, I'm not helping other people and I'm not part of that community, 
I'm doing it alone. Yeah. And so I've never forgotten that. And when I told my friends, everybody gasps to hear that my boss said that to me. But it's kind of like a mantra now. Yeah. It's great that you could hear it in that he wasn't saying it to be a jerk. He was actually trying to say it to empower you even more. So what's your brave, not perfect moment? Is it when you're sitting in Alamo watching him <laughs> figures? I wouldn't say that. I would actually say, so I've been very lucky with my new business. Chloe Taylor Technology got an offer to do a campaign with HP and it came out of nowhere. I still don't know how they found me. And they said, okay, we're going to record you. We're going to film you over three days and you're going to do commercials and all these amazing things. And I thought, wow, oh my gosh, I got so excited. And I'm not used to being filmed or like photographed. That has never been a part of my story. And so even though I was so excited, this dread was creeping in thinking, um, how am I going to look on video? How am I going to sound? Yeah. And the night before I thought about being brave and not perfect, like don't rob the world of the magic you can bring to this experience. Even if you feel stupid or you think you look weird in this angle, just be brave and get out there and act like you are having the best time. <laughs> I think a lot of times in the past, I would cover up my personality by being awkward or shy yeah. and I just thought to myself, brave, not perfect. Just get out there and be your truest self. And people will love it if it's authentic, yep. if it's authentically you. And I have to give it to the Bustle team and the HP team. They did a really nice job creating something that felt really like me. It, was, it didn't feel like I was acting, but it was a time that I needed to be brave and not perfect because the work deserves so much more than just inauthentic perfection. And so I'm so happy. It's a mantra for me now. Anytime I get scared or I think I can't do it or I want to back out of anything, I think to myself, brave, not perfect. It's so powerful. So thank you for, for bringing that to women, men, anyone, because we needed that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave Not Perfect. Got a question for me? Send us a note at bravenotperfectpodcast at gmail.com or call in directly via the Anchor app on your phone. Until next time, this has been an episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Reshma Sajani.